he just shares what what are the current priorities what should be the focus and he lets us kind of think of how to achieve it and uh, how to implement this or that things and that's um that's super nice and uh, exciting when you understand what we need to do uh like what the the founder and the customers are expecting but you have a certain freedom in how you're going to achieve it and that's uh that's what i'm trying uh you know to do and create in in any team i'm coming into Hi there, welcome back to Ship It and Sip It. I'm excited to bring you a special interview today with Alexandra Melnikova. She's a product manager here at Parallect and she works on the Veriskills product. And she also works with onboarding new founders to Parallect Venture Studio. Alexandra comes highly recommended from our teammates and from previous guests of the show. Because of her skills, both as a product person and a people manager, we get into both those sides of product management, discuss several experiments and experiences she's had in various skills. And we uncover just how she creates successful team environments that lead to successful startups. Before we start, though, there is something new from us. Eager has just released stack.parallect.com, where you can browse through hundreds of vetted, proven startup tools that founders use to build great products. Check it out, and you can even add your stack. Okay, let's get into the interview with Alexandra. Alexandra Melnikova, Sasha, I will refer to you as for the rest of the show. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been suggested as a guest uh, many times by my previous guests, and I'm really excited to have you on the show. So uh, my first question for you today is, since it is Ship It and Sip It, what have you shipped lately that you're excited about? Uh, well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I've been a fan and uh, I've been watching your podcast uh, for for a long time. So it's really great to be here. Uh, regarding something that we've delivered recently that got me excited. So I'm working on this product called Veraskills, which is a coding learning platform for undeserved students. And right now we are onboarding a lot of new students. So every feature kind of feels exciting. But I guess uh, something that we've released recently was group calls for students of the platform. This is not like something super um, unique, but uh, the fact that we all work together on it as a team and tested it a lot together as a team was super, I don't know, refreshing and kind of um, nice because uh, we've got to work together a lot find issues, fix them and everything. And it was a highly like requested feature from, from the students. So um, yeah, it was fun working on it and I'm really excited we've done it. Awesome. Yes, we're going to talk a lot about Veriskills in our show today. Sure. Uh, previously, I talked with Daniel Walsh, the founder of Veriskills. Uh, I'll link the episode in the show notes below this. Uh, but he had a lot to say about the team and the success and the idea and what he wants to do with various skills. And you are a huge part of that <clears throat> as product manager. So I'm eager to get your perspective. Uh, so today we're going to talk about becoming an awesome product manager, both in terms of the product and the manager side, uh, working on various skills and also sort of who are ideal founders and what makes a perfect product launch. So there's a lot there. Uh, hopefully, we'll get into some more specific stuff as we go along. But first, um, in terms of product management, my last guest, uh, Lara, described you as her angel as a product manager on various skills. It's very high praise, I'm sure. Uh, it was the first time she had worked on a team that had an actual product manager instead of working directly with the founder as acting as a product manager. So... She specifically noted that team meetings, the atmosphere was always fantastic. So let's start with the meetings. How do you try and sort of facilitate that? Is that just a natural effect of a great team? What do you do to make that happen? Uh, well, it uh, definitely a team effort for sure. And um, uh, it, it uh, just happened that all the people on their skills team are uh, 
super engaged and open, you know, to participate. And it's always like people have ideas, things to talk about, comments and everything. And I would say that the readiness to engage from people on the meeting is the key factor to this uh, kind of atmosphere where everyone feels relaxed and um, able to talk and share and everything. So this is a definitely group effort. From my side, um, I don't know, I'm trying uh, to like not to be the leader of the conversation all the time, which is kind of uh, tricky for me because I'm always like someone who would say long speeches and talk a lot. But um, some something that we've done with the team is um, we choose a facilitator, a new facilitator every week for our daily meetings, for example. Uh, this was an idea of the team and we've introduced it like several months ago and it works great. Like every week we choose a facilitator with the help of a random wheel and they they facilitate the meetings, ask questions. And it is so funny how different people, uh, you know, approach uh, leading the meetings. Uh, the vibe is totally different every time. Uh, it's It's great every time, but different. So it, uh, you know, gives a sense of something new uh, when a new people is leading a meeting. So um, that also adds up, you know, to feeling that um, everyone is there engaging, participating. Uh, yeah, so um, I would say that the main factor is to involve other peoples on the meeting in the, in the process more and try to step back as often as possible as a leader and facilitator in the meeting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Uh, just to clear things up, how big is the team right now? Uh, well, we are the team of six people, so it's okay. not huge. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. And that's very interesting. That reminds me, uh, in, in a former career, I was an English language teacher. And the big thing that they taught us when, when I was training to become one was teachers don't need to be the ones speaking the most. The students need to speak a lot more. So yeah. parallels to that. Um, all right. So can you describe as briefly as you like your path to product management? Uh, well, um, initially I studied as a project manager in IT and my main strengths point were usually, you know, being an organized person, structured person, very detailed person and everything. So I thought that like contributes and nice things to have when you want to be a project manager. And I also have some management experience before I Kind of entered IT, so it all matched up pretty nicely. Uh, but then um, I actually didn't want to be a product manager uh, at the beginning, but um, it always happened like this. I'm on the project and I'm just cannot help myself, you know, getting into the product, asking questions, uh, talking to founder, trying to talk to customers, um, I don't know, sharing ideas and everything. And somehow it always ends up uh, that I somehow uh, participated in the product activities, but I didn't have, you know, enough maybe experience or knowledge to do that um, solo. Uh, but uh, then with Paralect, they really give you an opportunity to try out things you, well, are not that experienced in. And on some of the latest products I worked on, I was covering solo project and product management activities, read a lot, took courses, and um, yeah, I guess um, it's kind of happened. Um, not something that I planned specifically, but um, it happened. And now I'm trying, you know, to still learn and study and try out new things as a product manager because there is so much to learn and i'm definitely not um yet there when you know i could say okay i'm now fully professional educated product manager but it's great that um, i got to learn with you know with with actively doing things not just reading about them or listening to webinars and everything um, for sure what are what are some things or resources that you're reading, listening to, 
right now or ones that really helped you in your path to product management? Yeah, well, uh, there is this platform called Reforge, which is a platform dedicated to product management, um, well, skills. Um, they have a great um, courses for product managers, but apart from that, they have one of the best newsletters that I've ever subscribed to because, well, it's a weekly newsletter. And the great thing about it is that it um, is less marketing, more like really provides you with useful content, interesting techniques for for doing experiments, talking to customers and everything. And I would say this is the only newsletter I'm reading almost every week. So yeah, that's um, that's one great uh, source I'm, I'm usually um, using and uh, kind of using more often than others. Very cool. I'll have to check it out and we'll leave a link to it in the show notes as well. All right. Uh, recently, you've been posting quite a bit off and on on LinkedIn and Twitter or X as well. Um, but you shared one post about your lecture at Startup Summer last summer. Uh, you told the students that the heart of each product should be value for the user. We hear this a lot. Um, a lot of product managers say it. a lot of everyone who builds you know, startups says this, right? Uh, so I, I don't want you to explain exactly that again, but I'm curious what you see that uh, takes teams away from that idea or takes people in teams away from that idea. What distracts us from this idea? Uh, well, uh, routine and uh, issues and problems uh, that like uh, they raise every day when you develop software. And uh, it is super easy to get caught into these operational things like tickets, uh, bugs, releases, and everything. And it is totally understandable. Like this is something we are doing every day, talking about every day and everything. But I uh, sometimes find myself, you know, forgetting about not what we are doing, but why we are doing it. And this is a question I'm trying to remind myself about every week. I have like a, uh, a page in the notes on, on my laptop and uh, there is like a one, uh, one sentence there in caps lock, like uh, what is the goal of, of, of the features we are delivering this week? And uh, I'm trying to like remind myself about it every week and try to talk with the team about it uh, every time I got a chance. Uh, so as you know, to make this question a part of our routine, not only how we're going to implement this feature, what it would look like, but uh, well, most importantly, for whom we are doing it and why, what is like the metric we are targeting, what are the results we are hoping for. And um, this is one, one part. And another part is actually checking how it turns out. Like, okay, we delivered this feature. That was our goal. We need to go and check like in a month, in two weeks, uh, whether, it, uh, whether the goal was, was achieved, how it works out and everything. And also, of course, share it with the team and discuss and um, like... Uh, review and plan improvements and everything. So the why and also the results, um, I would say something to be talked about as often as we talk about issues and tickets and releases. Okay, and that makes a lot of sense. And it reminds me of an update you wrote a while ago and you actually wrote a, a post for us, which I haven't published yet. I haven't forgot about it. Okay. Uh, Maybe this week I'll publish it uh, along with your interview. It'll be a great one too. Um, but anyway, you were outlining a way that you automated the onboarding flow for VeroSkills. So I wonder if we could talk about that a little bit now. I know it's not very fresh in your memory, but probably you remember. Uh, because it was a couple months ago, you made this sort of drastic change in the amount of time it took to onboard users. And so now you should be seeing results from that. So can you walk us through sort of how did you discover it was a problem or holding you back from growing the platform? Uh, briefly, how you automated it? And then third, what results did you see? 
Okay, uh, sure. So um, it, the the need for the automation was uh, there uh, for for some time already. Like we work in close cooperation with with Daniel, the founder of Vera Skills, and the um, operations team on 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 their side. And um, the thing is that as we are partnering with NGOs and people who um, may not have any experience with learning online or coding. Um, the the selection process and pre-onboarding process gets super important because we want to kind of filter people who are ready to dedicate time to to this learning because it won't be easy and it will be challenging for them so um we we learned uh from the from the team on the vera skills side that right now they're doing it uh, manually like they having calls one hour calls with every candidate ask questions, tell about the platform, ask them to complete some simple exercises and everything. And uh, from our side, uh, from the platform side, we we saw that uh, from, from the moment the contract with the injury is signed to the moment that students actually onboard on the platform, it takes, well, a lot of time, sometimes months, sometimes even more. And uh, we knew that there will be more students, more partners in future. And it will, first of all, it will get impossible for people, you know, to, to process all of these candidates manually. And also, of course, we wanted to shorten this time for the pre onboarding so that students didn't get I don't know, discouraged or uh, demotivated to finally start learning. And uh, yeah, so uh, we started with the team uh, on the Vera Skills side sharing with us all the steps they are doing right now and what the goal of each step, because we like we wanted to automate things, but we wanted to keep the like, kind of uh, the sense of it there. And uh, with the uh, with our dev team and our dev lead Ivan, who's been uh, like a huge part of all of this automation, uh, we discussed what what could be automated and how we're going to do that. Um, important point was that we didn't want to make it super you know complicated uh, because um, it would take effort from the dev team. And we wanted to avoid it as much as possible. So a lot of things that we've done with the pre-onboarding automation uh, doesn't require, you know, a developer. So I myself could do that. Uh, the people on the Vera Skills team could do that. So that's very nice that um, we don't take time from our dev team who work on features for the platform. Uh, we've actually had uh, five iterations with the pre-onboarding flow. Uh, and with each iteration, we've automated another part of it. So first it was like um, we, we had a, a, a form uh, to apply for, for to, to, to apply for students. Then um, a person would uh, review it manually, change status, provide a, a video ask with questions for, for students to record answer then review it manually, then provide a link to do the coding challenge, review it manually, and then approve or reject. And um, this review manually part uh, was was still a hinder uh, because it took time. Uh, even the fact that we avoided, you know, calls with students, it still took time to to review every every application, every video ask. Uh, so with the next iterations, we tried to uh, process the answers and um, configure an algorithm to uh, change statuses automatically. Here um, we've uh, used IE, of course. Uh, so we we took the results of the uh, first application, reviewed it automatically, and the first status is now changed automatically. The video ask is also reviewed automatically, and uh, we look for specific like answers, and if they are met, uh, there is an automatic transfer to the next status. If not, only in this case, a person steps in. And the coding challenge, the answer is also now reviewed automatically. So um, before, like every step of the way was manual. And right now, uh, out of like seven statuses that there are there in the flow, only two of them are actually require manual input. Uh, 
which is uh, which is kind of fun. I mean, it it uh, cut the time of the people who were involved in the pre onboarding process quite nicely, and um, also it helped us to um, to shorten the time of the pre onboarding itself for students. So we cut it from one month to uh, two weeks in, in, in average. Sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's a bit longer, but still it's, um, it's a nice cut. Awesome. And I guess now would be a good time just to get into various skills a little bit more. Uh, we'll come back to a few of the product management topics a little bit later. But um, briefly, uh, can you give us an overview of the roadmap of Veriskills up till now, how long have you been working on the product and sort of what were some of the challenges when you started out with Daniel? Uh, of course. So um, I've been working on the product since January, so 10 months already. And the team in Parallax uh, have been working on it uh, for uh, one year now, actually, because we started uh, in November. Uh, with uh, with the Vera Skills team, the initial challenges that we faced were mostly organizational and in the field of project management because we needed to deal with um, like um, uh, how to do regular releases, how to fix issues, how to make sure there are no critical stuff on production. So first two months were dedicated mostly to cleaning up and setting up processes which is um, actually one of my favorite jobs to do because these things uh, give you results super fast. This is not like any product changes that you know require time to adopt and give you results. Uh, once the team you know is involved and dedicated and the clear and transparent process is set up, we've seen results like after two or three weeks uh, when we started working with various skills and it felt pretty nicely. Because before, um, um, I know Daniel was saying that, and I felt it myself, that when we started, it was like no one understood how it works, how it should work, what the expected behavior on the platform and everything. And after several weeks, it just felt nice to see that, okay, that's working. We, we know what to expect, and it's actually happening, uh, which is a very nice scene when you develop software. Uh, so this was the initial challenge. And after that, we just started to introduce things dedicated to um, uh, user behavior analytics. Uh, figuring out uh, what 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 the problem, the hinder that students and tutors face on the platform, um, and uh, I should say that it's uh, really we are really lucky because uh, we've got users on the platform uh, pretty soon. The first contract was signed in the beginning of the year, and we have our first active users, real users, on the platform in May. So uh, from that point, we were able, you know, to actually validate the feature that we deliver, um, how they're used, what, what the problems are there. And um, this is something we were focusing on and still focusing on, like um, analyzing their behavior, sharing, uh, trying to get insights from, from the students and uh, improve uh, the way they, you know, interact with the platform. Um, yeah. Awesome. And I guess from talking to you about the product and also from talking with Daniel, it seems pretty straightforward. It's a platform to uh, learn how to code. The target market for learners is underserved students who would love to learn how to become developers and improve their career prospects. The other user group are the mentors who love to help uh, the, those students. Uh, but when I look at the website, it seems like a little bit more complex than that. Um, it's not for anyone. Uh, you know, I, as a, a marketer who might want to learn a little bit of coding just to become a better generalist, can't just log in yeah. and start using it. So there's this whole sort of NGO flow. It, it seems just a little bit more complex than, than when we talk about it. So uh, was that a challenge when it comes to launching the product? Or is that all something that the various skills team does? You mentioned you've automated parts of it, so it's happening faster. 
Can you describe that a little bit? Um, of course, yeah, you're right. So the target audience of the platform are not um, uh, everyone. Uh, this is targeted specifically on the um, non-commercial organizations in the United States. So this is uh, something we would call B2B2C. So we're selling to a business, but the users, the end consumers are actually the people from the NGOs. Uh, to be honest, we are not the one doing the sales and uh, promotion. So it is all on the Vera skills side of the, uh, of the team. And uh, I should say they're doing it amazing. Uh, and great because we've um, set it with one partner at the beginning of the year and now there are 11 cohorts uh, onboarded on the platform which is well great uh, but um, from what we see and uh, what we talk about with the Vera Skills team, this is like a super nice approach to, you know, targeting your product to a more narrow audience, but with an actual problem. Because as far as I know, when Vera Skills said it, it was available kind of for everyone. But the problem with this is that uh, there are other platforms out there that provide um, coding lessons uh, and courses and also uh, with this kind of um, target to everyone you need to spend a lot of um, time effort and well money uh, into marketing to attract this kind of uh, audience as far as i understand and with targeting uh, one specific group which are NGOs in the united states it allows uh, the Vera Skills team, you know, to put all their efforts into um, well finding these people, talking to them, um, signing contracts, and this is more of a direct sales rather than you know um, more um, marketing and user acquisition that we're used to. Uh, but this is well really helps us to stand out and kind of. Um, understand our unique selling point we are not for everyone we're for these people this target group and a lot of features that we introduce they won't be you know there on the on coursera or udemy or on other platform that will actually provide the same um the same functionality right the ability to learn coding but they don't have all the features that help people who don't have any coding experience and sometimes who even don't use computer that often to start using it, start learning and everything. So the target audience is actually, I would say, the key and unique thing about various skills, which we build a lot from. Okay, yeah, that clears things up quite a bit. And it makes a lot of sense and I'm happy that it's working very well for them um, and you. Uh, so. We already discussed some of the challenges. Let's see, Lara also mentioned that everyone in the team is actively involved in making the product better, not just finishing tickets or finishing tasks. So uh, how do you sort of foster that mindset? Uh, well, first of all, uh, it all starts with including the team into the conversation as much as possible like any uh, meeting i have with founders regarding the plans and priorities it is open for everyone to join and to you know listen or share their ideas and also when we plan features and uh, discuss features for development uh, we always discuss like why we're doing it uh, what the request from the audience, uh, what we hope to achieve. And um, the team, uh, when, we, when they have access to this information, I mean, people always have questions and have comments and uh, having more context and understanding um, about the feature just, um, well, um, as a result, invokes more comments and ideas from the team. And also like uh, our, for example, QA engineers, and uh, developers who work on the features, they obviously dedicate more time to it uh, and they use it more than I myself, for example. And they sometimes offer amazing insight that I won't think about because I, I, I haven't spent that much time with the feature, using it, trying it out, uh, testing it and everything. So um, yeah, the first thing I would say is to include 
everyone in the conversation, share all the data, analytics, ideas, priorities, what's happening with the team. And it's kind of, um, uh, well, causes them, uh, adds up to their engagement and eventually to the way they may offer ideas and insights uh, for, the, for the product development. Yeah, and that's one thing that I think is a sort of strength of Veriskills is that the the developers and the QAs, you know, these the end users are are people in their same cohort, sort of. That everybody learned to code at some point. Uh, most of our engineers also help mentor um, other uh, coders as well at some point through Startup Summer. So they see both sides of this experience, and they have a lot to share in terms of what helped them learn, what helps them to teach, et cetera, et cetera. Is that sort of an accurate assessment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it is always fun and, um, you know, um, great when you could actually consider yourself um, a, a, a user of the platform or imagine yourself a user of the platform. Uh, yeah, this is super useful. and. Uh, actually having uh, um, well developers and QA engineers on the team helped us a lot not only with the features development but also with the uh, content review like they would be able to review courses and the the lessons and make ideas and suggestions and also when a student has problems with something uh, with with the course or with the lesson we could be the one helping them not only you know to fix the issue but also to kind of move forward and make progress with the lesson, which is, um, well, adds up to the value that we could provide to, to an end user. And um, this is always super fulfilling when you feel you're not only you know, responsible for the software, but also to the actual value of the product that you contribute to it and see the results of it. Yeah, that's got to be very rewarding for them all. All right, uh, so you talked a lot about all of these ideas coming in. I'm curious, let's go back real quick to tools. Uh, how do you manage this process? You said that this is part of the process that you love the most is organizing and making projects more efficient. So uh, what are your, some of your um, go-to tools in your stack? Uh, for sure. Well, I'm trying to uh, keep it simple uh, and not to use too many tools at once. Uh, we use Miro for uh, kind of high-level planning. Uh, we have a user story map there and we plan with Daniel and Skills team every month, kind of what are going to be our priorities. And this uh, roadmap is shared with the team and we discuss it uh, every month with them. So Miro is for high-level planning and for the daily like planning and discussions, we use Linear, which uh, is a, it's a great tool that I've discovered on their skills before. I always was a, a huge fan of Jira and I'm um, remaining it. Uh, but for um, projects where reporting is not that big a need, an issue, Linear is, is an amazing tool. It's, it feels like project managers were actually involved in uh, its development because a lot of things as supernatural and uh, like I'm thinking, oh, it would be nice to have this feature right now. And it actually there, I'm thinking of it and it's there. So linear is for daily communication and, and uh, tickets management uh, and everything. And also we have notion, which is for uh, kind of um, requirements, descriptions, um, instructions and everything. So um, this set of three, I would say is, um, well, right now more than enough. And uh, Mira and Linear um, uh, great for uh, kind of structuring things, making them transparent um, and um, giving the visibility of what we're doing, why we're doing it and what will come next for the team and for the Veriskills, uh, for the for funders and the team on the Veriskills side. Very cool. Yeah, we used uh, Linear quite a bit on the marketing side as well, just to organize our stuff. I love it. Yeah, I'm it's amazing. Product, I'm not a project manager. It's quite easy, simple to to organize all your projects. 
All right. Uh, what should we talk about next? Let's talk about motivation because you just wrote a post about motivation. Um, and the gist of it was that it's you, as a manager, you, you, your job is not to provide motivation. You should just sort of enable and empower a team of motivated people already. So I guess let's start with yourself. Let's talk about your motivations. Then we'll go to the team. Then we'll sort of bring it together with the founder and the whole startup. So uh, where do you find your motivations and uh, what do you do if they lag? Uh, well, um, to be honest, I would consider myself a person who doesn't require to be motivated by, you know, external people, stakeholders or my managers, uh, because um, I'm, I um, think I'm a bit of a perfectionist, uh, meaning that um, my biggest motivation is my own feeling that I've done it right and that I were involved and interested in the task um, 100% and that I was trying and uh, did my best. So uh, this feeling uh, that I love having at the end of the day is my biggest motivation. The understanding that I wasn't kind of like procrastinating or didn't, um, didn't do my best with the task. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is this is one thing. A more high level uh, thing would be obviously see uh, that the work I'm doing brings value to other people, that it's actually needed, uh, that it's uh, appreciated, and um, this is something that I obviously don't need every day. But it's nice to understand that uh, what I'm doing is actually well necessary. For sure. All right. And you talked about sort of from a manager's perspective, uh, motivating the team and also setting goals, which I think is sort of the, the crux of the issue when it comes to working together as a team. So how do you think about goals? How do you maybe take some examples from various skills? May, what are the metrics that you're targeting and how do you sort of translate that into motivation for the team? Um, sure. Um, I, I absolutely agree that goals, well, the, well, the, the presence of goals and the uh, shared understanding from the team, what are our goals is uh, one of the key features for uh, the team being motivated. But um, I would actually want to kind of distinguish uh, a little bit these two things. So um, it is always nice when um, your job is a manager as a manager not to motivate people to work uh, you know like uh, they come and they don't want to do anything and you the magician should come up with something uh, yes yes and kind of like uh, makes them excited and uh, interested to work this is um, we all need it sometimes and it's yeah. totally fine like we people and we like uh, when others um, motivate us or excite us. And um, as a, as a leader, leader in the team, you sometimes need to do that, of course. Uh, but it's nice to be not to be responsible for that all the time, because this is job and we come here to work. And uh, it's nice when everyone understands that. Uh, another thing, obviously, is setting up goals, which is uh, definitely a manager's role to come up with the uh, with the things we we need to focus on. Maybe not the specific goals, and definitely not specific means of achieving these goals. But kind of okay, guys, this is a situation. Um, I see that right now we need to focus on these things because. Do you agree with me? Do you have any other ideas? Uh, what should we focus on? Okay, now then let's decide that this month we are going to work on this. How do you think, what's the best way to, to achieve this, to improve this? Um, and we kind of like brainstorm ideas, things. And um, it's always nice not to be the one, you know, sharing instructions. Like we need to do that because, so go and do that. Uh, 
it's always better and more fun when it's coming from the team. And um, to be honest, that's actually that I felt the most on their skills and uh, with Daniel. He's uh, definitely not the one who gets into super small details of what the team's doing, how we're doing it and everything. He just shares what, what are the current priorities, what should be the focus, and he lets us kind of think of how to achieve it, and uh, how to implement this or that things and that's um, that's super nice and uh, exciting when you understand what we need to do uh, like what the the founder and the customers are expecting but you have a certain freedom in how you're going to achieve it and that's uh, that's what i'm trying uh, you know to do and create in in any team i'm coming into yeah and uh, that also circles back to the intrinsic motivation that the team has to help sort of people yes. like them, even though they're um, quite far away and they're not direct users of the platform. So that's really cool. And I guess a follow-up question to that uh, in regards to what Daniel brings to the team in terms of, of goals or metrics to improve, uh, is there... A, a clear sort of time frame that he wants that to happen or is that something where you look at it as a team and say there here are three ways we think we could do this a will take this long b will take this long and c will take this long and he sort of works with you on that how does that look uh yeah more or less like you described as i mentioned we have this monthly uh priority meetings where daniel shares with us uh like feedback from from um from our partners and uh, from the customer that he heard about we are also in communication with our end customers students and tutors we are uh, customer service chat so we could share our own understanding and ideas of what should we be working on and we kind of work out a plan that um, aligns with the business needs of the product that Daniel sets for us and shares with us and based on that we work out our delivery plans and goals for the months and um, yes usually it looks like we have there's two or three things to focus on this month. Um, how do how long will it take? Do you think? And we provide um, ideas. Okay, we could do as you said this way. It would be faster this way, a little bit longer. And we decide which way we choose. And also, we always try to leave some free capacity of the team every month to be able to uh, react to some urgent issues or requests and. Um, that worked out pretty nice for us so usually we have only 50 or 60 percent of the capacity planned for each month and the rest is free at the beginning and it gets filled up with with some issues or um, last minute requests uh, so that we are able to kind of balance what we want the product to move uh, to and also working with with things that um, our consumers, our customers require right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's one thing that, you know, at times I've been frustrated, especially working in marketing. Um, it's sort of, you can choose out of hundreds of goals, uh, ways to grow, channels to grow, uh, sort of different levels of the funnel to target at some time. So when you have a leadership that sort of changes priorities or uh, doesn't stick with a priority long enough to see things through, then it can definitely demotivate a team. So a bit different, but makes sense to, yeah. to see how Daniel handles it. All right, uh, let's see. We've already sort of started talking about speed. So moving more generally away from various skills, we talk about launching things quickly a lot. Uh, so as a product manager, why do you think speed is such an important part of startup building and launching? Uh, well, um, I would say the speed is not the uh, like uh, end goal. It's just an instrument uh, to avoid spending too much time on something that you are not yet sure will be, you know, um, needed on the market. And the less time you spend on the product, um, 
on the first version of the product is the better because that means that you get to release sooner, get feedback, and maybe pivot uh, or maybe even uh, understand that it's not really required. Uh, and the, from my point of view, the uh, the greatest advantage of these fast MVPs is that we don't give ourselves too much time, you know, to elaborate about, well, um, this button should be pink or light pink. Um, should we do it this or that way? So we, we um, put ourselves in a, in a, in a time frame uh, that is uh, quite short. Before we enter this time frame, we uh, we discuss, brainstorm, and elaborate uh, what we think would be the most valuable um, user flow for the MVP. And once it's decided, we don't spend too much time discussing it um, again. We just want to deliver it super fast and start gaining feedback. Because I um, myself feel it, well, every time that it always might be done better, and we've always uh, feel that, well, we didn't think about that before, but it would be cool to think about it. So maybe we, we just need this one little improvement and it would be ready. It's always like that. And I think this uh, short timeline just helps you to fight this urge to improve more and more and better deliver. Because every time you launch an mvp the feedback that we gain from users well it's usually different or gives you so much more additional stuff to think about rather than before you launched it so um it's just better to ignore most of the things uh, while developing and listen to users after you launched and and an mvp just just a final thought that an mvp isn't always a product like we always say it can be a post uh, uh, um, a landing um i don't know um an account an instagram twitter or or linkedin this is all mvp and the shorter it is the better all right and uh, how are some ways you mentioned that uh, teams, I guess, can take a lot of time building and brainstorming within their own sort of bubble before they get the feedback that they need from the target audience. Uh, are there other ways that founders tend to sort of slow things down? And have you seen that? And as a product manager had to like say, look, let's stop imagining all these scenarios. Let's, you know, build something concrete and see what happens? Um, yeah, I would say that uh, two things that happen most often is uh, that we spend too much time on the way things look, like designs, branding, coloring, and everything. And um, I mean, uh, I want to make a disclaimer that I'm not an expert and, uh, you know, someone that's uh, right 100% times and sometimes branding is important and we need to really spend time on it, but usually it's not. Uh, so um, it's, it's great to think about how things look, but it's also great not to spend too much time on it. So the one thing in the UI, uh, design and the second thing is uh, the fear that the flow that you include in the MVP isn't enough uh, you know to test the market and this concern is much more uh, like viable from my point of view because it uh, depends a lot from the marketed target audience whether this kind of early adopters will be ready to uh, kind of you um, uh, the product which isn't uh, fine-tuned and works perfectly as we all used to using all these mainstream apps and products um, right now. And this is something that, um, well, is, is always a great thing to think about. And um, this is always different depending on the target audience. If, for example, we are targeting developers, uh, that's probably not that important. They will understand. And uh, again, I will have a, a, um, an example from various skills when we are dealing with people who are not really experienced with, with software, um, any small issue may be super demotivating for them and they may consider it some critical thing 
that really hindered them from moving on. And uh, we need to kind of think about it. And we've just recently talked with the team and we kind of decided that this MVP approach where we get rid of everything which is not high priority when delivering a feature, uh, we should try to use it less and think of the way to deliver features that are maybe not 100% perfect, but more fine-tuned than we would do before because we like know our audience. Uh, so this is a two-factor that usually prevents um, the teams move fast with the MVPs, uh, putting too much focus on the designs and uh, adding too much features in the MVP that just um, don't allow us to make it fast. Yeah, and one example I just thought of, you reminded me of there with the comments on design. Uh, I recently started, yesterday actually, I found a tool from Adobe that um, it enhances the audio from uh -huh. podcasts like this one. So you just uh, upload an audio file and it does its magic. They have a free version and a premium version, and then you can download the file. And on the download screen, uh, their design team or front end team made some mistakes. And the one text box on, on the right side of the screen just runs off the website for like three of the header runs off, the, the, the subheader runs off and everything. And if Adobe can do that, which I'm sure has a design team that's like in the thousands, uh, yeah. then surely uh, your own startup can do that as well and still have a successful product. Yeah, it works I, great. <laughs> I actually always feel kind of warm when I, um, um, meet an, an issue or some some small thing that doesn't work as expected in a huge app like Twitter or uh, Instagram or anything else. Like I, I feel uh, what the team behind the product might, you know, experienced and okay, they meet the scene, but I understand. So it's okay, guys, uh, all is fine. I, I'll keep using it and everything. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And as long as the audio sounds good, I don't really care what the design of the website looks like. Yeah. Right. So uh, after I talked with Daniel, I got the impression, and uh, you, I'm, I think you agree as well, that he is sort of an ideal founder for Parallax to partner with. He has previous founding experience. He's got a validated idea. He is capable of pitching and selling that idea to the target audience. Uh, so uh, you've been sort of working more with the onboarding and, and outreach and sales side of uh, the Parallax process. So how do you think we can find more people like Daniel in the world that would love to work with us? Uh, well, uh, whoa, I, I wish I knew. Uh, then I will do that and uh, <laughs> we'll be rich and happy. Yeah, um, I think, um, well, first of all, it's great to talk about things that, you know, we think, um, uh, thing that we want to work with and this is something i see right now that kyusha and lena and Igor are doing with with parallax and salt and box sites like we are putting more info about how we work we kind of uh, form the application process to be able to filter someone who are not really uh, a match for us uh, and, and that's a great thing to start with, like this initial information on the website and the application process that is tailored uh, to like ask questions that we usually ask on the first intro calls and everything. Uh, that's already a great filter. And uh, yeah, um, I, I, I get this one thing. And another thing is that uh, um, thankfully our current partners are referring us a lot. And it's also an amazing way to kind of um, get to meet uh, people who are like-minded to our current partners. And uh, we've had multiple uh, experiences with, with partners who came us from, from other partners. And it's always great. Like there is, al there is already a foundation, a kind of mutual understanding between all the parties. Okay, we work this way. You probably know that because... I don't know, Daniel recommended us and he worked with us. So that that's another day, uh, another way to do that. And um, the final thing is the pre-sale onboarding week, 
that we usually have before uh, we decide, the partner decide whether he wants or doesn't want to go work with us. Um, that's also super crucial because it gives us an opportunity to ask questions and um, validate whether the founder is something we want to work with and also to show the founder what's our approach and for him to validate us uh, whether this is something he's interested in, he's looking for, or we are not the ones that will match his expectations. Right on. Uh, two things I want to uh, ask you about based on that answer. First of all, the Parallel.com, we recently updated the website and the header now reads, fix your startup tech. Uh, so uh, what's broken in most cases and, and why is that sort of our main selling proposition? Well, uh, it, it, it actually differs from, from product to product, um, but um, a thing that I saw more often than others is that um, there is too much functionality, but none of it actually works as expected. Uh, there is no process um, processes installed, and uh, for example, when we start work, uh, working on a product or some other team or a founder working on a product, people never think about like the process, and it's totally fine, like it's okay. But when the product is growing, the need for the processes it's kind of emerge because okay, uh, we we might be releasing whenever we want before. But now, for example, as we have users, we could not allow ourselves to do that because, well, we release something breaks, it got confused, and we want to avoid that. So there should be schedules, some logic, some testing, and everything. And schedule, logic, and testing is already the processes that needs to be set up. So one thing is, uh, is the, 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 well, technical issues with the product. Another is the lack of processes. And the third one is, uh, like... Um, I would say that uh, there is a deadline and um, the founder currently is not able to meet it and we are coming as an additional force to kind of speed things up because there is a, I don't know, a, a user's expectation or investor expectation, something like that. All right. And the second thing I wanted to ask about uh, in terms of uh, more sharing of what we do and how we do it. You've been writing a series called hashtag in between calls on LinkedIn. So uh, what inspires this series? And I guess more generally, how do you feel about the build in public idea ethos? Uh, what challenges do you find to sharing um, your experiences on social media? Yeah, so uh, I started about a year ago because um, Igor and Dmitri and some of the guys from Parlect were were building in public, and um, it felt that well, it adds up some transparency on what you are doing, and also gives you an opportunity, you know, to share uh, the results of your work, which is always rewarding, and uh, well, adds up to the publicity of Parlect. Uh, which is one of the factors for new leads attraction and closing deals. And, well, that's also an, a super nice um, argument uh, to follow. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I guess as everyone, I'm trying to write about something that I, I come across every day as a manager. Um, I would say the biggest challenge is... Um, is um, I don't know, sharing your thoughts when I'm not sure that I'm an expert in, in the matter, uh, because um, LinkedIn and other platforms, they have some of the amazing content creators and professionals who share so much value that, I mean, I, I, I usually uh, read them and uh, use their advice and everything. So I don't feel that um, I'm yet there you know, to be the expert sharing advice. Uh, but um, from, from, from the other point of view here, uh, just reading about the work of other managers and uh, reading about the stuff they, they, uh, they, they face and how they overcome it, uh, sometimes is super useful because, well, usually we have kind of the same problems. The context might be different, but the way they overcome them and try out things 
are usually something that I could do myself. So um, this is what I'm trying to do. Also share how, what are the challenges I face, how I overcome them, um, some thought that I, I have while working with people. Uh, yeah, so um, this, is, this is something that's interesting to me, like sharing and getting feedback and also um, kind of uh, learning how to write, formulate thoughts. That's also a nice um, perk to it. Yeah, and uh, well, everyone who creates, I think, ch is challenged by imposter syndrome, as as you've described. Yeah. Um, uh, so you're not alone there. Uh, I would say I would say take um, take more confidence into what you write because I think it's really insightful, and I think a lot of people can learn from it as well. And even um, the act of, of writing it and putting it out there makes you a better manager, makes you more of an expert. So that's one of the stepping stones. Uh, and given that to your very process-oriented uh, person, uh, do, do you have a process for this writing or is it sort of ad hoc whenever you have inspiration? Uh, well, um, I... I for a long time, I was trying to uh, post every week at the end of the week. Uh, for me, it was kind of a closure point. Uh, like this week, I've been working on this and this and this, and I would choose something that, well, was the most interesting for me or maybe the most challenging, and I would write about it. It's kind of like a record in your diary, uh, but in the professional kind of way, work kind of way. Um, I haven't been able to keep uh, with the weekly posting uh, lately uh, due to some work stuff and traveling and everything. But um, in general, this is a process I'm trying to follow, kind of like closing my week with this um, post sharing uh, and then go and uh, rest during yeah. the weekend. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. All right, a uh, couple more questions, then I'll let you go. Um, in terms of, of sharing and building in public, I also wanted to ask, is this something that you're trying to facilitate in the team? Do you encourage, do you set time apart for people to do this? I mean, how can we, how do you make it happen if you do? Uh, well, um, I wouldn't say this is something I'm trying to set up um, among my team mem team colleagues, team members, uh, we talk about it. And uh, actually, we have several discussions about why it is even important or needed to write about the product. Uh, and um, even the fact that uh, the, the guys and girls in my team have these questions, I think uh, this is great because they think about it. But uh, no, I don't really encourage it because I don't think uh, that uh, building is public is something that um, everyone should be doing in the team um, obligatory, I would say. Uh, if a person have, you know, a, a calling to do that, that's amazing. If there is um, a very, very clear value, like we are doing this because, I don't know, investors are reading and this is important that our team lean rights, uh, that would be also our argument to do that. But until then, because, you know, with various skills and the way we are closing deals with the direct sales, um, our target audience isn't really in the area where usually people in IT community rights, like, Twitter, X, or uh, LinkedIn. So this is this doesn't really contribute to clothing deals um, in a direct way. That's why uh, I think it's a it's great when people share and they always you know like uh, support these uh, um, tryouts from my team members. But this is not something we you know consider required in the Veriscales team. All right. That makes a lot of sense. All right, last question. Um, you joined Parallect almost two years ago, as far as LinkedIn tells me. Yeah. So uh, if you could give your 2021 self uh, a few pieces of advice in starting out this journey, uh, what would you tell her? Uh, well, that's, um, uh, to be honest, I don't have any regrets about these two years uh, or something that I, I would recommend not do uh, to myself. Uh, just in general, I would say that 
uh, I would recommend myself, not only in the past, but right now as well, is to try to focus on things that are important more and, uh, you know, don't get distracted by things that are not that high priority, but I feel that I'm sometimes, uh, I sometimes need to do because, you know, they're in my list and I need to do them. Uh, so yes, I, I, I think that's called better prioritization or sticking to the prioritization because I think I'm quite okay with the prioritization, but the sticking part is uh, kind of challenging for me. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's an advice I would give to myself. Right. I guess if you, if you're a highly motivated person like yourself, if you put it on the list and you <laughs> see that it's there, it's like, well, I put it on the list for a reason. Yeah. So sounds like good. How to do it. All right. Well, Sasha, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to know about Veriskills or Parallect before we wrap up? Uh, well, um, no, I, I would actually want to say um, hi and thank you to my Veriskills team. Everyone from Parallect, uh, Ivan, Jenya, Petya, Lera, Veronika, uh, you're great, amazing team. I'm super happy to work with and also to our colleagues on the Vera Skills site. Uh, this is one of the best team team setups I've been working with, and you're making my work life really happy and satisfying. So thank you very much, guys. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, it's been a lot of interesting insights into how you work and how Veriskills has grown along with your team. So it's been lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. -bye.